Well, thank you, Drew and Ariel. That was a meaningful song, very specific to our current situation. I hope you're finding God faithful. I mean, who could have predicted it, right? Man, these are incredible days in which we're living. None of us could have predicted our current reality. And I just want to say to our staff and our volunteers and you, our church family, what an incredible job you guys are doing. I mean, we turned this thing on a dime. We embraced a brand new reality. And so many of you have worked so very hard and so very diligently. So we'll just keep going, won't we? I love it. And I'm so thankful that I get to talk to you today. Uh, I hope that you're doing well. If I were to ask you, how are you doing? How would you respond to that? You know, not the typical greeting, but I mean, asking it and really meaning it. How are you doing I've thought about that question a lot. In fact, just this past week, uh, we had a video chat with our community group, and it was so great to see all of those people that we've been separated from for so long, uh, all the little faces on the screen, and it was just a great time to touch base. But that was one of the questions that we posed to each of us as we went around the room in that video meeting. How are you doing, really? You know, and as I've thought about that, because people have asked me that on other occasions too, as I've thought about that, uh, here's how it goes for me. So the first couple of weeks of this new reality, uh, I felt like I had leadership adrenaline coursing through my veins. I responded. I said, hey, this is a challenge. And we had meetings and we had planning sessions and strategy sessions. And how are we going to get through this? And then about the next two weeks following that, I found myself with this sort of unexplainable angst. Uh, I couldn't quite put words to it until I started digging a little deeper and I found out I was discouraged that I was going through a kind of grief and I was able to put words to that. And then the two weeks after those two weeks, uh, I found myself just sort of embracing the new normal and I had actually, uh, you know, enjoyed it so much where my rhythm was different and, and all of that. I, I found myself uh, talking quieter and more slowly. <laughs> Trisha said to me, you're not using your preacher voice as much. <laughs> and so something about the last couple of weeks has been maybe it's just the acceptance of where we are, trusting God or just the the. Um, the satisfaction of knowing that we're okay. Those are the feelings. So it's been kind of this for me, and I don't know what it's been like for you, but I hope you're able to get in touch with those feelings and to discover how it is you're really doing. I think someone said it well when this thing got going, you know, and they said, you know, March was a really long year. And I would agree. And April is shaping up to be a really long year as well. So, wow. You know, one of the things that's gotten me through this, though, is the reality of my family. Trisha, we're together, you know, quarantined together. Our, all our kids are gone out of the house. We're empty nesters. And it's been wonderful just to spend that time with her and to weather this together as my primary person. And then, of course, our sons and their wives we've been in touch with and our five grandkids. We've done a few family conference calls and everyone is doing well. But in a, in a situation like this, when I sort of had the luxury of thinking and reflecting, I'm so, so very grateful for my uh, family. And I know you are as well. So say the word family and you're gonna get lots of different reactions. In fact, uh, family dynamics can be both exhilarating and excruciating. Like when you hear family, you may think, wow, you know, I know what it's supposed to be, but that's not what I experienced. 
that very safe haven and environment and, and, and place that pulls you away from the turmoil of the world, you know, may actually be your place of turmoil. And uh, that's a challenging reality, right? So just a reminder, there are no perfect families, right? We can move toward progress even in our imperfections. And so why am I talking about all this? Well, I'm talking about all this today because we're beginning a brand new series called Family. We thought we'd keep it short and sweet and pretty simple. It's called Family. And for six weeks, we're going to be walking through this together and exploring some of the family dynamics that are part of each of the families that we are a part of or have been uh, a part of. So let me ask you as we begin today, what are the thoughts and the feelings that you might have about your family? What are the thoughts and feelings you might have about your family? Now, keep in mind, you're probably in the same room with some of them. So be careful about answering out loud unless your answer is, you know, really positive. OK, the subject of family is huge, isn't it? Right. Family, uh, for example, you can think of your family as a child if you're a grown up. Uh, you can think about your family now if you're an adult. If you're a teenager, you can think about the family that you're in, all kinds of dynamics, right? You can think about your estranged family. You can think about your blended family, all kinds of labels that we could put on that. You could in, in, indeed think of family and conclude, uh, where are you on the scale of evaluating your family? Is it joy or is it sadness? Is it success or is it failure? Is it anger? Is it happiness? Is it hope or is it discouragement? Or it may be a combination of all kinds of things when you think about your family. So when I was about seven years old, I decided it was time for me to run away from home. <laughs> and so I pinned a note to my mom and my dad uh, as eloquently as I knew how and uh, telling them that I was running away from home. And then I went and hid in my closet. That was a pretty sophisticated plan, I realized that. Uh, I was just tired of being told what to do, and I was tired of not getting my way, and I was concluding that, you know what, uh, I, can, I can have a better life. Of course, it's humorous to think about now, but, but once I was found in the closet, I decided to stay with my family, and it worked out uh, just fine. I'm from a very loving home. I was always told that I was loved. I, there was a lot of physical affection in my home growing up. But at the same time, we had our dysfunctions just like every family has their dysfunctions. And so here's how it worked. So Trisha and I get married and we're determined to do better as a family, to conquer whatever dysfunctions we might have each experienced growing up. And so what did we do? Well, here was our strategy unintentionally. We created our own dysfunctions. We ended up embracing things that we you know led to all kinds of crazy dysfunction in our own family, okay? So what I wanna to do today in part one of this series on the family, I wanna search the Bible. Is it possible for model families? And uh, the thought being, if we find some great families in the scriptures, we can look at that, we can see their example, we can model uh, something uh, from that family into our families as well. But here's the problem. The examples of family in the Bible are almost always bad. Have you noticed this? Let's just look at a cursory list here, okay? First, you got Adam and Eve. Well, they lived in paradise. It was perfect. And then they sinned. Wow, we're the recipients of that mistake, right? And don't forget, the first homicide in the human race was in their family. Cain killed his brother Abel. Well, let's move down the list a little bit. There's Noah. Noah saved the human race. God used Noah to spare the human race. But after the flood, 
He's drunk and he's naked and he curses his son, Ham. Well, let's go to David, right? Man after God's own heart. David commits adultery with Bathsheba. He has her husband Uriah murdered. And then, of course, we're told by God that the sword will never depart from his house. And that's exactly what happened. His son Absalom now tries to take the throne from David. He actually wants to kill his own father. All right. Well, maybe you look at all that and go, OK, that we get that. That's the Old Testament. Well, let's fast forward to the New Testament. Let's go right. I mean, right to the top spot. OK, how about Mary and Joseph? I mean, that's a couple. Right. So on a trip to Jerusalem, uh, to a feast. They bring Jesus, young Jesus, with them and celebrate. And then on their way home, you know what they did? They lost Jesus. <laughs> they look around. Three days later, they realize that he's missing. Now, listen, I, I know it's in a caravan and everybody takes care of everybody's kids, but that would be like you going on vacation and losing your child at Cracker Barrel on the interstate. And then three days later going, hmm, where are they? <laughs> right? So who do we look for to find this ideal family relationship? Well, I'm not sure they're completely there, but we can learn from those mistakes of others. In spite of the human failure to get the idea of family right, let me suggest by, by way of broad topic here, uh, first of all, that the idea of family was birthed in the heart of God. God thought it up, so to speak. That's using human language to describe God. But the idea of family was birthed in the heart of God. In fact, it's difficult to imagine human civilization without family. And the argument could be made, yeah, well, it could still exist. But no, not really. Because family is the central part of how God has put this thing together. We were born for family. It's in our blood, so to speak. Uh, I love the idea that Kurt Thompson presents when he says, you know what? You come into the world, every single one of us, we come into the world looking for someone looking for us. Have you noticed a baby doing that? We come into this world looking for someone looking for us. We are hardwired for this experience of family. But you know what? God didn't invent family just like he didn't invent love. It's bigger than that, right? It's part of his nature. Family reflects the very heart of God. So even in the unity of our Trinitarian God, we have this beautiful community in family-like existence. We have the Father, and we have the Son, and we have the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful picture. Remember Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, comes to earth. And what does he do? He lives his life in a dependent relationship with his Father. That was the arrangement. And that's what Jesus modeled for us. This beautiful picture of dependence on his heavenly Father. Toward the end of Jesus' life, he's gathered with his disciples in the, in the upper room. And he reminds them that he'll, he'll be going away. And he tells them, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And then he says something very curious. In my father's house are many dwelling places. This is that passage where some versions have mansions. It's really not a very good translation, nor is dwelling places. Because what Jesus is really describing there, that in his father's house, you want to talk about family, are many rooms. 
It's a big house. And Jesus is reminding his disciples, hey, our father is taking care of us and we are all part of the same family together. And so when I go away, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And in my father's house are many rooms for you. So it's interesting, you know, when you and I look into the scriptures, when when the writers of the New Testament look into the Old Testament to discover New Testament faith. Let me say that again. When the writers of the New Testament look into the Old Testament to discover New Testament faith, there's always one winner. Do you know who it is? It's Abraham. And the reason the New Testament writers point to Abraham as an example, an Old Testament example of New Testament faith, is because Abraham had faith in God prior to the giving of the law. In other words, the law wasn't a requirement for his salvation. The law wasn't required for him to get righteous before God. It wasn't about behavior. It was about this sense of trusting and believing God. So Abraham becomes the go-to person. Listen to Genesis chapter 12. God gives directions to Abram at that time. His name would later be changed to Abraham. Uh, Verse 1, Genesis 12. Now the Lord had said to Abram, get out of your country from your family. Hold on to that because that's going to be a key component here. From your family. In other words, move away from your family and from your father's house uh, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you you. Now notice the last half of verse three. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is big. All the families of the earth shall be blessed. That phrase families of the earth literally means families of the ground. If we had a little more time, we'd go all the way back into the garden where, where number one, we discover we are made from dirt. And then number two, we discovered that there was a curse put upon the ground. It was part of the fall of humanity. And now what's the, what's the opposite of, of a curse? A blessing. Kyle and Dalich, uh, Old Testament Hebrew scholars say this about this passage. This blessing was to unite the divided families and change the curse into a blessing for the whole human race. That's what's at stake here. And in you, Abraham, all the families of the earth, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So God is about family. God is for family. And as the family goes, so goes the culture. All you have to do is look around at our society and to see a crumbling family equals a crumbling culture. No wonder family is part of God's plan. I love Paul's prayer for the church at Ephesus. There's so many great prayers that Paul writes and prays in the New Testament. But this one in particular is so powerful. But maybe you've missed it before. Uh, Verse 14 of chapter 3 starts like this. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm about to pray. And then he begins. He says, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Now, this is fascinating because we have Paul here saying Listen, I'm going to I'm praying. I'm bow my knees before the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, for whom the, the whole family 
on heaven and earth is named. Now, there's a big family. Because not only is he talking about the literal family of human beings, but now he's climbing the ladder up into the angelic realm. And he's suggesting that even the heavenly host is part of this thing called the family of God. It is a beautiful picture. Even for the angels, God is Father. And as Revelation 19 tells us, that that suggests that, that the angels are fellow servants with the brothers and sisters of the believers who are in Christ. This, this is magnificent. This concept of family is incredible. So let me offer another suggestion related to it. We, you and I, the church, are inseparably connected as a family in an enormous plan of God. We are inseparably connected as this family that God has created. So just as you are related by blood to your physical family, so too you are related to every other believer in Jesus Christ by Christ's blood. There is that connection that you and I have to each other. Maybe you're like me. Some of us have experienced a strange affinity with fellow believers. There's a sense in which we feel a closeness that rivals or even exceeds the closeness we feel for a literal bloodline brother or sister. How does that happen? Where does that come from? It is this mysterious, strange wonder that God has birthed into existence, this thing called the family of God. And every believer in Jesus is connected as a family, inseparably linked together. So many of, many of us who call LifePoint home uh, could probably easily quote our mission statement. We print it everywhere. It's on our websites and the worship guide that you used to get when you showed up. Uh, And it goes simply like this, to influence people to find and follow Jesus. And when I think about uh, the difference, I don't want to parse this too much, but the difference between a mission and a vision, there are lots of people that have taken cracks at this that are way smarter than I am. But when I think of mission, I think of mission is that that's that thing that we do. That's our marching orders. But when I think of vision, it's a little different for me. I view vision as what we are becoming. It's the ideal that we lay out there, okay? So mission is this idea of we're doing this thing. Vision is what are we becoming? And so our vision statement, I think, is is less familiar to many of you than our mission statement, but it is equally powerful. Do you know it? It goes like this, to build a family of believers, who bring pleasure to God as we love Him completely, love each other unselfishly, and reach out with Christ's love to the world. Now that is strong stuff right there. It comes out of the whole idea of the, of the great commandment that Jesus laid out. It's all about love. But did you catch it? To build a family Such a great word, a family of believers who bring pleasure to God as we love him completely, love each other unselfishly and reach out with Christ's love to the world. So in that spiritual family environment, we become a movement of love. We're loving God, we're loving each other, and we're reaching out with Christ's love to the world. So these past few weeks, I've had a chance to reflect, as have many of you, and I've thought a lot about our church family. Uh, First, I just miss seeing you guys. I mean, I miss being together. I'm, again, a little tired of talking in the cameras. But but, uh, I hope that, you know, when we get things to a safe state, 
we can be back uh, together again. And I've also mentioned that we are working overtime to continue to communicate to you and to do our best. I thank God we have so many talented people and we were already way down the road in uh, video uh, simulcasts and all those kinds of things. And so I thank God for that, that we had embraced that many, many years ago. But as I've thought about our church family, I, let, me, let me just share with you some things that bubbled uh, out of my heart. First of all, I feel proud of our church family. I just do. I, and I don't mean that in a bad, evil, prideful way, but I feel, I feel proud, like parental pride, I guess is a way to look at it. In addition, I feel close to our church family. I feel inspired by our church family. Uh, I don't know if you've sensed it or you would agree with me, but I hope you would. We have something special. Th this thing called LifePoint Church, this movement called LifePoint, you know, God has given us something very special. Other thoughts that I've noticed as I've pondered our church family. We see needs and we meet them. That's all we have to do. We just look and then we're off to the races meeting those needs. We share, we love, we encourage. It's just woven into the DNA and the fabric of our church family. When we get knocked down, we get back up. And we've all been knocked down before over lots of years, but we get back up. We trust God and together we move ahead as a family. We give, we comfort, we grow, we hope. All of that together. We're a family and not even a global pandemic can take that away from us. In fact, through these hardships and this new reality, I'm just, I'm just you know, our metal comes out. It just does. It's often said that adversity exposes who we really are. Well, if that's the case, I'm loving what I'm seeing. I'm seeing our church step to the forefront. I'm seeing our church do incredible things for other people and for each other, this family that we share. I love the passages of Scripture, you know. There are few about family, even though the good examples of family are a little more difficult to find. But there are lots of passages of Scripture about what it means to be a Christ follower. And those passages are equally applicable in our families, in your literal blood family, and in the family of the body of Christ. And I want you to hear a passage of Scripture, Romans chapter 12. I'm going to pick up at verse 9. You can follow along. And, um, and listen to them... Uh, Tune your ears to your own family and tune your ears to listening to these words in light of your church family and hear all of that in light of our current reality as we face the challenges of this pandemic. These are powerful words, okay? Starting at verse 9, Romans 12. Don't just pretend to love others really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. There's one for us. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. 
Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now hear those words in light of our need to be the kind of people that those verses just described in our families and to be those kind of people that those words just described in our church family in light of our current reality. I hope that you're drawn closer and closer to God in a way that you never expected. And I hope whatever reality you're living with the ups and downs, that you're tuned to the presence of God. Because I'm convinced as we face in His direction and as we cry out to Him and as we recognize and acknowledge before Him and before ourselves and before one another our great need for Him, we will emerge different people. I thank God for family. And I thank God that we get to share the same family together. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we thank you that in your heart you birthed this idea of family. Thank you that you modeled it in the Godhead. Thank you that you have said this is how society functions. You've set up families, real blood-related families. But God, you didn't stop there because this is birthed in the very fabric and nature of God you said, this is how relationship with me works. And so those of us that have believed in you are a family. Thank you, God, that we can care for each other. We can love each other. We can be for each other. And we say to you, God, would you expand your family? Would you help us to live in such a way that others are drawn to you deeply? so that they can discover our great Heavenly Father, His wonderful Son, Jesus, and Your Spirit who seeks to indwell those who have placed their faith in You. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for Your presence in this challenging time. And I pray that You would keep all of us close to You and that we would know that closeness in every fiber of our being. And I ask this all in the name of Your Son, Jesus. Amen.